and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. I have a super special message for anyone with high school kids. Listen up. If your child feels bullied, lacks confidence, or gets caught up in the drama of teenage life, they need to check out my new Dream Life Teen Journal. Go to dreamlifeteen.com to get access to the book and my free affirmation wallpapers and parent teen activity list. Check out dreamlifeteen.com for the Dream Life Teen Journal, a 30-day guide to escaping the drama and chasing your best life today. Big, big welcome back to the Dreamcast. Our next guest knows what it's like to struggle in the school system. And I cannot be the only one who has seen that the school system is broken and needs to be re-considered, like, right? We could have a whole podcast on that. But our next guest struggled herself in the school system. She struggled with her grades. She had undiagnosed ADD and didn't really understand how her brain functioned until her 30s, where she then was able to teach herself to read, give herself the skills needed to end up getting a PhD from Cornell. Like, holy stinking cow. Talk about life transformation. She then became a teacher. And we'll talk to her, but my guess is because once you see something is wrong, you want to go and fix it. And so oftentimes what was tricky to us as kids, we're like, or, or what that, it's a holy discontent, as I call it. We then go back and see if there's a, a way that we can solve that problem. And after years of teaching, she then said, okay, I'm going to do something outside of the school system in order to probably even give better results to the teens that she was working with. And so she started a teen coaching business where she teaches teens, not just life skills, but also how to survive in school and actually thrive in school by learning uh, study habits and teaching them how to best work for their own brain because teens um, are going through so much already. I can imagine having this expertise at their fingertips is a game changer. So big Dreamcast welcome to Dr. Michelle Dona. Thank you. Okay, so I I, I really just made an assumption, but why did you get into teaching? Um, So I was actually supposed to be a college professor. And, you know, that once you work your way up, I was just always told, once I found my way to school success, always told, well, you have to go get your master's. So I'm like, okay, here I am getting my master's in French because I was told I had to go get my master's in French. All right. And I was French and Spanish. And that's like, wow, you know, and I, I became very involved, actually, more so not in the language but in a French psychoanalyst by the name of Jacques Lacan, who was just like so cool at the time, but I was just much more into the psychoanalysis. So moved on to get my PhD from Cornell 
um, you, you get a scholarship from Cornell, you just don't turn that down. <laughs> so, you know, at the time of my life, I was having fun. It was all, you know, creative. And, you know, I got to be like, you know, some big shot intellectual in my imagination kind of thing. And then it came time to like, what do you do with a PhD in French literature from Cornell University? You have very limited options, which are to teach. And unfortunately, you know, in higher education and the university education system, you can't get by on just teaching. You have to publish in order to make it. I did not, even though I got my PhD from Cornell, I was still like stuck in that when you struggle to learn, there's a part of you always feels like everybody else is swimming and you're just paddling water and keeping your head above the water. You know, there's a part of you who just feels like you're not quite making it. I did not have the confidence at the time to not only publish, but to stand up to criticism from professors, like from renowned people in the field. So I was just felt like I was just like barely like barely making it and hiding. They just gave me my PhD. So <laughs> this is really fascinating because we know that most of our subconscious beliefs are formed in our youth, right? Yeah. Up to the age of seven, but certainly in your middle school and high school years, if you were a struggling student and maybe labeled by others or yourself as being not up to par, I could imagine even getting into Cornell and being around that type of energy, there's still this foundation of like, I don't belong here. Yeah. And I always felt like I was faking it. Like I got in by some fluke. Like, you know, I must, somebody must have seen something, but you know, like I was really felt like I was faking it all along and they just let me get by to let me out of the school kind of thing. Like that's how it felt. So, and I was doing psychoanalytic readings, uh, Lacanian readings, as a matter of fact, of 16th century literature, which is very like kind of at that time back in the 90s with a bunch of um, traditional scholars. I was kind of like running up against the grain in my field and not feeling like I measured up was just kind of like, who, you know, <laughs> but I always felt comfortable with students. I always felt like, I would be in the, you know, the teaching vibe. And you know how, like, when you're in the zone, you're doing your thing. And I could actually look out in my student population and I'd see, I would literally see lights around their, their field, their heads. And I was like, whoa, something is connecting here. And it felt so much better than having to push against the green to publish and go up and fight the traditional scholars, I just like, I went from like lights going off to, I just don't want to do that. I only want to teach. Cool. Very cool. And then I, yeah, I wound up at a therapeutic boarding school. Okay. If I didn't publish my first year as a college professor, did not get the tenure track position. I wound up at a therapeutic boarding school out in the mountains in California. Oh my gosh. That sounds like a perfect place for you to be. It was, it was because I, I literally went from like one setting and then I was in a different setting up in the wilderness in the mountains where, I mean, like there were mountain lions around if the kids tried to escape. It was like, you know, something where some did, some did leave the school and found, you know, the way down into town in the train station, but whatever. I walked out there and there's a pond, there were deer, there were hummingbirds everywhere. And I'm like, this is the place for me. 
and it was therapy uh, and it was educating students who needed therapy. And I just felt like, whoa, zing, 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 zing. And, you know, the classes were very small and you could have strong connections with your students and you were expected to. Right. And I was like, emotional and intellectual peace really resonated. Right. In a therapeutic boarding school, I would imagine that although, yes, academics is key, it truly is therapeutic is the main focus. So the goal is not like, do you know your algebra? The goal is like, can you sit and read? Like, are you a functioning person? Um, can you handle your emotions? And it's how was an atmosphere at therapeutic boarding school? Like you said, it was just much more centered around therapy, but I could tune in. I'm, I'm just so emotionally sensitive. Like I could tune in exactly to where somebody needed this or somebody needed that. And the classes were small enough that I really kind of was, I didn't know it at the time, but I think my intuition was developing. And I was like really just tuning into what the real needs were. And I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, I could take care of every intellectual need there was, especially with French or Spanish instruction, but there were emotional needs. Yeah. Like I could just like zone right in. And I'm a cancer too, by the way, you know, <laughs> but I could just tune in emotionally to what their needs were. And find a way to merge somehow the emotional and intellectual needs to the point where I always had buy-in. That's beautiful. And that's, you know, kind of where I learned how to connect. I think it's so cool that God can take your struggles of school and Mm -hmm. um, the trickiness that you may have had growing up and give you a place for you could create a safe place for someone who might not succeed in the normal education world in public school or even in a private school. If they're being sent to boarding school, it's probably for a reason. And so you're really supporting maybe the outcasts and Mm -hmm. giving them a place to thrive and feel like they belong. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that that's always been my place is to, you know, take the ones who don't feel that they fit in and actually carve a place for them and forge, help them forge a path. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I moved out of that, that system. You know, there was a trajectory of teaching down the line where I would just switch schools. I think I've worked in three high schools my whole life to the point where enough of a grading instruction never really was the problem for me. It was kind of like the grading and the stress I would create to the point I would create by giving grades, right? So, but it was to the point where I would see somebody struggle and my favorite thing to do would be like, oh, just come up here, come work with, and I pat my desk, I'd roll over, I'm like, just come work with Dr. Dona, like, come on. And, you know, it's just like, whoa. And then I started to connect, somebody assigned me, I inherited a student that another teacher didn't want because he had a learning disability that the teacher could not teach him French at all, at all. He he had ADHD so bad. The teacher was judging him. He's not working. He's not, he he couldn't memorize anything. So I inherited him because I was department chair, whatever. Started working one-on-one with him and bam, 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 bam. Connected with his psychologist actually to (laughs) figure out his learning style And it was all that experience I'd had back in California in the therapeutic boarding school where I could just merge his worlds and make that happen and get him to pass, you know, even more than pass, you know, get a decent grade, like a B minus on his final exam. Uh, And then then I started to get the school started to send me. Yeah. Then you start getting the tricky ones. (laughs) 
Well, then, you know, they sent me a room full of ADHD boys to advise or boys who struggle. And that was like, oh my gosh, they were my sons. I, I just love them. I mean, God's gift to me, my goodness, like that book that I wrote was my gift to them. In fact, you know, it was like telling them that they're okay. Yeah. You know, that, that was, but that book is basically an extended love letter to all those boys explaining the brain to them, explaining that there's no connection, like their intellect could be up here, but their working memory might be their struggle, but it it had no bearing on the fact that they were very smart and very capable. Right. And my whole book is that explanation. Dr. Dona's book is called Just In Case School Sucks, Tools for Transformation. And you can find out the details for that on her website. But the brain science behind teaching, I don't... Do they teach teachers this? <laughs> do teachers really know this? Because I no. know teachers are typically not super trauma-informed either. And I've been doing a lot of trauma work um, this past year and learning a lot about how police and doctor... I mean, people in our society who interact with people the most aren't often trained in trauma when most people have something that they're carrying and it's impacting them on a day-to-day basis. Then trauma will impact processing in the brain right? and then replicate. So tell me about the different areas of the brain that are impacted by ADD and why that, and how you can finagle around it. So I I think the, the weakest, I mean, I don't like to like separate parts of the brain because they all work together, but usually it's like the prefrontal cortex that is the weakest in especially young men. I don't want to just categorize everybody, but usually with ADD, ADHD, it's kind of like the prefrontal cortex or specifically the kingpin of the prefrontal cortex, I would call the working memory. So the working memory is not so much the memory, it's your ability to connect the dots and it's that linking piece. If you had links of a chain, the working memory would be the piece of the chain that where they, they connect. Right. So if you're forming units of meaning, in other words, it is the linking of the units of meaning. If that linking of the units of meaning is weak, you will lack the stamina to work through a problem and maintain all those units of meaning. You will lack the stamina to start a paragraph and end it and maintain the meaning of that paragraph or where you started. And that's all it is, really. But when you link it to behavior, it's also the weakness to predict if you link, well, if I do this and then this will happen and this will happen and this will happen, it's linking all those pieces together to predict an outcome and say, I don't want that consequence. I'm going to scale back and correct my behavior. That It's just weak and it can be grown. So how do you strengthen that connection? Wow. So um, one of my formative... uh, periods as a coach was working with a psychologist as a working memory trainer. We could do various things, just even just explaining this to kids. Somehow it's like a huge relief. And they're like, the minute I inform them, you're not stupid. And I explain why they're like, oh, oh, okay. So I, you know, I teach them to break the units of meaning down into smaller chunks. Don't take 10 steps in a math problem, chunk it into two or three. Before you try to read an entire paragraph, let's pick up a few words see what it's about, and then see if that matches. 
kind of thing um, so that the reading, they've already understood it before they start reading it. Um, and then there's also forms of, you know, I, you know, I taught cognitive working memory training, which you have to be careful with that sometimes in highly anxious people, because if you strengthen the work or you push the working memory past its limit too much, it could exacerbate some of that reactivity a little bit. That said, the limbic part of the brain also becomes overreactive because when you feel weaker or when things fall apart on you, you build up anxiety, right? In a fear of like, things just might fall apart. So I have to hurry up and get it all out there. And that's where you get the interrupter. I have to get this off my brain if, before it, like before it leaves my brain. I got to hurry up and say it like I just did to you right now. Because <laughs> again, what I love about our brain is that you can, I think, do two things. You can work to rewire the brain and strengthen parts that are weaker. And you mm-hmm. can also shift your behavior to better work with the brain you have. You know what I mean? But I'm guessing and just hypothesizing that, um, as you said, the limbic part of the brain is overactive. Would you say that there is some fight or flight happening where um, it's like freak out mode a little bit turned on? (laughs) Absolutely. I I run into this all the time. I, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm mocking, but I sometimes laugh at parents. I don't laugh like out loud at them, but sometimes it's like parents just want me to organize their child. And I'm like, learning is an emotional process. You cannot separate emotions from the learning process. I mean, if I work with your child, it's going to be a whole on holistic kind of event where, you know, we, we work with the emotions and how to process the emotions, understand what they are, understand why we're having them, and anxiety, that that overreactive piece, that danger-seeking piece is a huge part of it. So and just say, hey, it's natural. Yeah. We wouldn't survive if we didn't have this. So we just want to calm it down. And mm-hmm. so is that where the mindfulness and some of the exercise, like the relaxation ex- exercises, yeah. what else do you do to help get them back into rest and digest mode? So it all kind of depends with teenagers, you know, teens like to do things on their own and don't, you know, they like for it to be theirs. So I introduce various tools, you know, I have heart math, mindfulness, tapping uh, for, you know, those who are open to it. We also have prayer um, and that can be, you know, Psalm 91, beautiful one for somebody with anxiety. I let them choose and develop. And we always co-create, we always collaborate for their tool, their toolbox that they're building. You know, teens can be tricky in that if you come in, down, down and impose, yes. you're going to get that kind of like, you know, I'm creating, I have my own identity. <laughs> yeah. And if you impose, you're going to get kind of like what the parents get, which is that kickback. Yeah. That like, not me, not mine. That's you. Yeah. Well, and part of the, when I I got into psychology because of the work I did with uh, foster kids in New York City, and what I found was once they felt accepted and loved, like you liked them, you know what I mean? Then their walls came down and then they started to really grow. So as you said, in the therapeutic boarding school, you creating this space for and carving out a space where they belong, step one, now that you feel like you belong, you're more apt to actually try because you're not in defensive mode all of the time. Right. And that's why I tell parents, it's like, don't expect me to come in and 
you know, change your child's world. It's I, I need to develop a rapport with your child, which means that we had the walls come down. We have trust and that we're focusing more on what they want and yeah. listening to them and validating them where they are and just saying, you're perfect just the way we are. We don't want to change you. What I want to do is help you navigate this, you know, the structure, the school system, this world that can have a lot of demands on the working memory that ha- have a lot of uh, prefrontal cortex demands like deadlines. Yeah. Deadlines. Yeah. And what's interesting is when you think about what you really learn in school and uh, we actually homeschooled once COVID hit, cause I was like, I don't trust anyone. <laughs> so we, we took our kids out and we, we took them out for a semester and then we ended up going back because our school was doing a really great job of, we really didn't have hardly any rules and they were more very normal. And so we appreciated all of that and went back. So we got to learning a lot about the school system. And um, again, being in the homeschool community for a season, you hear a lot there, like teachers leaving because they saw what was happening in the school system. But at the end of the day, what the most important thing about school is, is to teach you how to learn, right? Because we how to learn, how to work in groups, how to communicate, all that kind of stuff that is kind of woven into the curriculum. I don't know if it's ever actually taught, but it's kind of woven in. And so I feel like if a teenager who's having trouble at school can get the basics of how do I learn and how do I communicate and how can I get along in this society and figure out my spark and all of that kind of stuff, they're in a much better spot than just figuring out algebra. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's why I, you know, that's why it goes so far beyond. It's like, well, what do you want to experience in life? They don't get right now that what they're experiencing in school is connected to what they want to create in their life. And sometimes they just need help connecting those dots, but you don't start, you know, you start with, well, what do you want? What would you like to experience? And the, the shift really happens. It's just like, well, how would you need to change or how would you need to grow? What would you have to learn in order to experience that? Bam. That's a great way to put it. The minute they see their own desire to learn and to grow, yeah. we, we, we have, a, you know, it's like we have willingness. We have, I want to learn. Yeah. Well, and I love the way you put that. How do you want to grow? How will you need to grow in order to become a policeman? Or how will you need to grow in order to create X, Y, or Z? Um, And, you know, whatever, play NBA basketball, like how will you, whatever teams' dreams are. That's a great way of putting it rather than what needs to change and how can you behave better and stop talking, stop hitting, stop you know, fussing or whatever the case may be, you're connecting the behavior change to something they want, which is always going to work better than trying to make somebody do something. Right. I mean, even adults are the same way. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Yes. Like, but the more that you reinforce the behavior you don't want through verbal language, the more, because all they're going to see is hitting you know, slap it. <laughs> like you have to say, wow, I love it when you keep your hands on your own desk. Like that, that's, I so appreciate, you know, your, you know, your writing down what I say, you know, you, you say what you do want because what you focus on grows. And if you sit there and, you know, I was like parents, like, wow, I mean, half of it's like, when they bring their children to me, it's kind of like when puppy dog owners bring their your doggies in for obedience training. It's like, no, <laughs> we have to work with you too. Because right. the more, more you say things like, if you don't get such and such a grade, I'm going to take your phone away. They're, they're painting images, 
you know, pre-trauma there, you know, for a child today, that's traumatic, right? But they're, they're painting images of not getting stuff done and inserting the anxiety of taking the phone away and then creating that, that limbic response and the, you don't know what you're talking about, get out of my face, your stupid kind of reaction. And the alternative to that could be, if you get a B or higher, when you get a B or higher on your test, we're going to go to get ice cream. Yeah, I can't wait. What? I can't wait to celebrate. Yes. Oh my gosh. And you're speaking life into them. Because the other option is saying, I expect you to fail Mm -hmm. and I'm watching for it. I hope you don't. You know what I mean? That's that kind of attitude. But if you say, all right, if you get a a B or better or whatever your goal is, we're going to go celebrate. We're going to go do something you want to do. We're going to go... I have boys. So I'm always like, all right, go karting. That's what we do as our celebration. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're the best mom ever. Laser tag. I'm like, who knew that I would be like, let's go laser tagging. All right. But the more you make the small and attainable yes. and reinforce that success, you're, you're growing successful, abundant adults. They're going to turn into seeing themselves, viewing themselves as attainers, yes. achievers, success, you know, successful people. I have um, a nephew who is always just been difficult, grouchy, feisty, disagreeable, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I know, I'm like, we'll hang out and I'll get you guys connected. Um, But one of the things that we've discussed, I mean, the reality is, is most of the time, the root of any issue is worthiness, right? And so you don't solve a problem by yelling or putting somebody down or telling them they're not good enough. The goal is to create that inner confidence and build up that inner strength and that worthiness. And then you'll see the fruit of that as a behavior change. And so he's still only nine years old. Um, so he's still fairly young, but it's been interesting to practice on, on him or, you know, work with my sister on, on how to handle this. And they're coming now for the next two weeks. So I'll get to practice in my own home. But what would you say to that, to someone who's been labeled or ex- been experienced as difficult and um, over the last, you know, six, eight, six years? That's awesome. He, you know, he's God's gift to, you know, your, your children are always your, and you know, I'm speaking from somebody who's had a hundred children, but no children of my own. Right. But your, your child is actually your gift from God for your own spiritual growth and development. So yay. Um, sometimes a shift in perspective, like I had a child I was working with who refused to go to school, like flat out physically just refused to go to school. And sometimes it's the defiant ones and the reluctant ones who turn out to be tomorrow's game changers. You know, so seeing the gift of that through through that lens, through that perspective, um, be like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Well, what 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 would you do? How would you change this? You know, kind of thing because he's actually going to be a mover and a shaker as an adult, somebody who doesn't settle, somebody who refuses to see things as they are. And a lot of kids, and I don't know whether school has anything to do with it, we'll talk more later, but a lot of kids who experienced freedom during COVID now don't want to experience restriction. They had a dose of freedom and controlling and shaping their own reality through, you know, wearing what they want, you know, saying no to this, yes to this. They had a lot more control over their realities, a lot more freedom during covid they could just turn off their camera on zoom you know like they're like, <laughs> what they want to do war what they want to war wear you know 
did, had maybe minimal homework because yeah, they had a dose of freedom. And now to say, here's a taste of freedom. Oh, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Some of them are going to have trouble adjusting, but also he is learning that he has a lot of control over his external circumstances. So there, you know, there, there there's got to be. A, I'd love to hear more about this because he's he's just learning that he gets. It, this could be. I, I love it when children early on discover that they get to create their own reality. But there are positive ways to direct that energy as opposed to refusing to do things and being oppositional and defiant. I feel like sometimes the change happens in the culture of the home versus the like, you know, you change. And so like the atmosphere and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I've tried to do with my boys is talk about how I'm feeling. So for example, this kid, this third grader at Mega Kids Camp this week, our vacation Bible school, called me a name. And I was like, you're like, well, when he just, he said something rude. And I was like, thank you so much. That's so kind. You know, I moved on. Um, but later I was like, you guys, that was super rude of him to say. Um, and I am like feeling, I'm, I don't know if it was disappointed or, you know, like we're trying to have fun and this guy's being rude. And so anyway, I was trying to like, share. I'm not going straight to anger. I'm not angry at this guy. He's a third grader. I mean, really, but it was just a conversation that we were able to have in the car on the way home on how do you handle it when someone's being rude? And what feelings does that bring up in you? Feelings of disappointment or sadness or um, you know, embarrassment, maybe really could have been one that I was feeling. And so even labeling those types of emotions, I've heard my boys Again, nobody's perfect. Nothing is perfect, but it's been interesting to see them start using those words too. Oh, absolutely. Like, oh, I bet I bet that person's embarrassed right now. Or, you know, it's it just been really interesting to start them hearing them use words that I don't know that, that they would normally would. I have to, yeah, I really have to commend you on, you know, not that you need my commendation at all, but when we model emotional processing, we make it valid for them, especially boys to label feelings, to to watch us walk through our emotions and process them, lays out something for them to go to. Because I'll tell you what, so many kids today, I ask them how they're doing, good or bad or stressed. They only have three words, good, bad, stressed. And they can't even in the gradations of stress, you know, I have to pull out the, you know, teenagers, like we're talking older teenagers who can't go beyond I'm good and I'm stressed. Um, gradations of, you know, is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it, you know, this, that, or, you know, do you feel sad? Do you feel depressed? Kind of the the vocabulary and the skill to discuss, to process and to think think, things through and why um, and how they got what what the thought was. And then, you know, I'm not even getting into, you know, their belief system. (laughs) I get into that much later in my coaching process. But their belief system and, you know, how their, you know, their perceptions and how they're, they kind of created that, but, you know, not, I don't want to get too deep here, but. It's fascinating. And it feels like this is the stuff school should really be about. <laughs> school does not create functional adults just by going through school. I feel like that emotional side of things is really more important than, you know, history lessons and that kind of stuff. And so we as parents have to be intentional because it's not being taught at school. And so 
whether it's youth group or you know modeling in your house or seeking out a, a coach and gaining more supports you know i think it's great for all of us to have more than just mom and dad to talk to and right. so to link arms with other people in the mm-hmm. community that can create a safe place for your child is is huge because it's it's not going to happen automatically, unfortunately. Right. And, adult, and adults who model that for them and say, yes, I'm, you know, I feel this too, or, you know, walk through like, as you did, you know, but a coach, especially for males, males, I, you know. Well, what was so funny when we got home, I was a, a bit grouchy. That's the word I use for like irritated. <laughs> and um, I said, my, their garage was open and I was like, hey, Brandon, the garage is open. And um, he was like, well, do you want me to close it? And I said, yes, this is me asking you to close it. The garage is open. You know, barn, we over there. And Eli, my son said, you know, I think she's grouchy because someone called her a name. And I said, you're right. I am. Wow. Me being grouchy to Brandon had nothing to do with Brandon. It had be, I was grouchy because of that irritation, right? But so for Eli to recognize that, I thought was a really interesting observation. But yeah, I mean, what what a great leap or what, a, you know, what a great example of how he recognized that and will be able to make connect those dots on his own. Yeah. You know, see his own reactivity. He's going to be really abundant. Yeah, it was really <laughs> fascinating. And then I was like, you're right, Eli. I'm just going to have to take a few deep breaths and let that, let that go. <laughs> they're, they're a rowdy group the whole hour. But anyway. <laughs> Um, well, how can people work with you? How can they find out your information? Um, you guys, her website is michelledona.com. I'll put that in the show notes. You can definitely check out her book on Amazon. And, and I know even on your website, you have a free 30-minute consult for anybody who has tricky kids. Um, and I want you to know if you're out there and you're ha- you have a tricky kid, um, it's not a reflection on you either. I think there's a lot of shame in parenting and feeling like I did something wrong and I'm doing a bad thing. No, we're all trying to figure this out. And none of this was taught to us. Oftentimes, we're figuring it out as we go. So there's no shame in any parent who says, I have a tricky kid and I need some support. The parent needs the support just as much as the child does because... It's kind of chaos for everyone. So reach out to Michelle if you have a tricky kid and you need some ideas because that 30-minute consult is absolutely something to take advantage of. And then do you do remotes or Zoom coaching or is it in groups? How do you typically structure it? So I do one-on-one. That's how I get people to open up and that's where we make the big difference. I do a holistic approach with a, you know, 10 session package. This year, I'm even doing a full year package that incorporates family meetings, uh, parent meetings only. It's up to the parent's discretion, whether they want to talk to me alone or bring in and do a family meeting together. And then one-on-one with the kids to really kind of dig in, get to the heart, motivate them that, you know, I'm not going to motivate them right off. I'm going to hear them out, get rapport, and then find that connector piece as soon as they can connect their desires are what they want to create, what they want to experience with the other stuff we're looking for. <laughs> we don't tell them that. And then the magic happens. It's just like that willingness to learn and grow. That's where the alchemy, that magic takes place. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very generous with my 30-minute consults. I don't mind sharing. I, I have enough years in my profession. My coaching packages, I only have 10 slots open this year um, left now this year in my packaging, but you know, I've reached that point where I just want to share 
and make a difference. If I could shift these, you know, and you too, if we could all just kind of shift how we perceive teenagers into these gifts and teach them, you know, the emotional processing pieces, we're going to have a much different future. You know, God doesn't make mistakes. These are all, <laughs> these are all, these teenagers are all here for a reason. So um, I, I'm, I feel very good about just openly sharing some things to do to ease your situation, reduce your stress. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you guys take advantage of that for sure. And if you didn't know, I have a teen journal as well. It's called the Dream Life Teen, T-E-E-N Teen Journal, the 30-day guide to escaping the drama and chasing your best life. It is similar to the adult journals that I have. I have two adult journals. However, we did Kitterize it, if that's a word, by we say, um, say it, picture it, do it, instead of like meditation and visualization. We have time to pray, time to listen, time to write. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we also have in the back, we have affirmation cards and a habit tracker because I thought kids need all as many tools as possible. And then I've had parents get this and they're like, oh, I want that. And like, oh, maybe yeah. adults need as many tools as possible too. Um, and this was created because I had mothers and teen daughters come to my workshops and they would be partnered with each other and they would go through the exercises together. And they were in tears at the end of the workshop because they're like, these are not things we would typically talk about. And it opened up such a cool relationship with them. And they went home and then they asked their whole family at dinner, the question prompts and things like that. And they said, you need to do something for teens. And I was like, okay. And so I created the teen journal. Um, We were planning to do a mother-daughter workshop and then COVID hit. But um, I think there's certainly a space for not only parents learning the skills, but learning alongside their teens because truly everybody needs this information. I'm sending your teen journal to all my teen girl clients because I really love it. They will. And, it's, it's and I, I got to tell you, your your breakthrough that you make there in the workshops is amazing. And I've had mothers and daughters come to tears on family calls because as soon as I say your job is to have a relationship with your child, not to exact outcomes, bam. And this, I mean, this creates relationships. Things yeah. like this create I mean, this is how you forge a relationship, Yeah, you know, Locking point. mothers and daughters doing it together. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, it, and I, I'm just applaud you for not staying stuck yourself. You know, I think a lot of times we go down a road and then we think it feels like we're banging our head against the wall. And, but what you did is you continued Uh, to figure it out until you figured it out and you continue to seek out answers until you could, you know, essentially heal yourself. And then you could take that information and pass that on to the kids that you teach. And what's so cool is that there are more kids who probably have ADHD, who have trauma symptoms, who have hard home lives that than not. And so to be able to give the gift of these skills to teens and their families is priceless. So thank you for saying yes to that spark and um, impacting and ripple affecting everyone along the way. (laughs) And thank you for what you do too. I mean, I'm just so, so happy you didn't remain a wallflower in that you're sharing your, your brilliance because it's making a huge difference. We're in this together, girl. So, all right, we'll have an awesome day, you guys. We'll see you next week and absolutely check out 
michelledona.com. I'll put the link in the show notes below. Have an awesome day. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I want to hear your aha moment from today's amazing episode. If you could leave a review at whatever podcast player you choose to listen from, Apple Podcast, CastBox, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening from, leave a review and share with us your favorite part of today's episode. Thanks for hanging out. And remember to dream big.